0: Well, welcome, everyone. Welcome, Bill. Thank welcome, Hannah. We are very excited to be carrying on with One Timothy. This is our fourth in the uh, episode because the first one was an introduction. Really recommend, if you haven't listened to the introduction to One Timothy, to listen to it because it gives you keys to how to read Paul particularly, but how to read scripture. Don't forget, we're doing cross-cultural work, and just because it's written... We access it in a language that is our mother tongue, English, doesn't mean it was written in that language originally or it was written with a worldview of people who currently speak English. Yeah. So we really see this as cross-cultural work and what... uh what we're essentially doing here, what Bill is doing here is helping us, guiding us through that path from our world now in the 21st century, over the river, if you like, to that, that other time that Paul was speaking to Timothy in the context of Ephesus 2,000 years ago. And then taking us back over the bridge to how that could influence our lives now. So I bless you, Bill. We're really looking forward to hearing this 1 Timothy 3 today. So am I. <laughs> Thank
1: you very much. <laughs> um, yes, hello everyone. Uh, so if, if I'm going like this, it's because it's slightly chilly We're in the prayer center yeah. and there's condensation on the walls and it's about one degree outside. Yeah. So we're, we're shivering slightly, but that's fine. We're, we're all right. We can cope. <laughs> um, yes, uh, so, um, I don't know if you remember, if you, if you looked at, the, the first one in this series, I, I gave a, a number of um, hints and tips about how to interpret Paul's letters because Paul's letters are difficult; they're not easy to understand. But there are various tools and techniques we can use to to help to make sense of them. Um, and and one thing I mentioned was the idea that uh, when we read Paul's letters, it can look at start at the start as though they're um, a series of unrelated ideas just kind of jumbled together. Um, and, but, but if you, if you read them carefully, uh, it's almost always possible to see a logical argument, um, uniting the whole letter. That there's, a, there's something, there's an overarching message that Paul is communicating in his letters. Um, and that can be really powerful as a way to, to help us yeah. interpret them. Um, if we can work out what the argument is and how all the different jigsaw bits fit together and, and contribute to that argument, um, it it helps us to make sense of all those little bits. And it, it kind of acts as a confirmation that we're on the right lines because we can see it all come together. Um, and I think uh, chapter three is a great example of, of that. Uh, One Timothy chapter three, and that's what we're going to look at um, today. So the first thing I want to do, if it's all right, is simply to read through the whole chapter. Um, so we get a, a feel for what's going on. Are you really, are You sitting comfortably? Han- Henry is also here doing the slides. Here we go. Uh, so this is chapter three. Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. I, I love that. He, just as an aside. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him and must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. In other words, there are all sorts of ways to get your family to obey you and to manage them well. But only some of those ways are worthy of respect. Um, If anyone does not, uh, brackets, if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. There's a warning. He must also have a good good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested and then if if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women, probably meaning women deacons, are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing to you with these instructions so that If I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. Hmm. So what we have here is a long list of the kind of behaviors and lifestyle that you want to be looking for when you're appointing church leaders, um, overseers and deacons. Um, and then there's this little there's this little paragraph on the end, verses 14, 15 and 16, which is very dense and quite obscure. Um, but somehow Paul sees these two things. One, one of the, the paragraph at the end is really rich in theology. Um, and whereas the, the first 13 verses are all about the behavior of church leaders and it's intensely practical. And yet Paul sees these, I think. Uh, I mean, he, he clearly does see them as utterly linked. And, and it's like this little paragraph on the end is explaining why. You look for church leaders like this. Um, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of attack it in reverse order. We're going to start right at the very end with the final verse of the passage, final verse of the chapter, um, because it's I'm, I think it's in this verse that we get the, the key to understanding the whole chapter and what's going on and, and understanding Paul's argument. Um, so if we can have the next slide, it should be. Yeah verse uh verse sixteen. <clears throat> um what Alice was saying before about we're doing cross cultural stuff, the the trouble is that there are a couple of words in this um this verse, verse sixteen, which I think we we think we know what they mean, mm-hmm. because they mean certain things in everyday English conversation. Mm-hmm. But I think they have a whole layer of meaning. Um they would have had a whole layer of meaning to Paul's original hearers, which is quite different. Um, And so what I want to do is just look at these two words to begin with and unpack them a bit. Can you guess what they are? Um, The first one is mystery. Um, When we talk about a mystery today, what we mean is something that's unexplained, something that's hard to understand. So... uh, the cause of the crash remains a mystery. Mm. In other words, those, those air crash investigators have poured all over the wreckage. They've taken it apart. They've tried to reconstruct what happened, but we still don't know why the plane crashed. Um, the the way he behaved in his final hours remains a mystery. Why was he so out of character? What was going? What caused him to do this this thing? We just don't know. That's what mystery means to us yeah. today. Something yeah. we don't understand. <laughs> um, and we and we use the word Christians use the word sometimes to talk about God. God moves in mysterious ways. What we mean when we we say that is, what the heck's he up to? <laughs> you
2: know,
1: I don't understand what he's doing. What's going on? Well, God moves in mysterious ways. And the, I think the trouble is we're we're reading our stuff into um, the Bible sometimes when we interpret mystery in that way because um, mystery had a slightly different meaning in the Greco-Roman world. A mystery was a kind of religion. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and it was based on the fact that we don't understand the spiritual world. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we can't see it. We can't hear what's going on. And so to most people, the the spiritual world is unexplained and impossible to understand. But there were things in the Greco-Roman world called mystery religions. And the mystery religions said, uh, everyone else doesn't understand what's going on, but we have the key. If you join us, then we'll let you into the secrets. We understand. The secrets of the spiritual world, and so m- a mystery was actually about stuff that's hard to understand being revealed and becoming clear.
2: Yeah. And
1: so, it, in some ways, it's almost the opposite of what we mean by a mystery. But, but, but the the use of the word was to describe these religions. Mm. Um, now, most religions in the it, the, the um, religious world. At the time of this letter, was a real marketplace, and and all there were there were all different kinds of religions. There were national religions. There was emperor worship. There were the traditional uh, Greek uh, gods and goddesses, and and other um, uh, other understandings uh, in in uh, classical literature, um, and they were open to everyone. And they were kind of public. There were the big temples. The mystery religions were different. It was by invitation only. Um, they were secret societies. And you, you had to be initiated into them. Um, let me give you an example. Uh, can we have the next slide, please? It should be a photograph. So this photo... There you are. i right? so just give you the, the sheet. So in, if you go to London... Um, in 1952, um, when they were clearing up um, after the bombing of the Second World War and they were digging out the, the rubble, they found these, uh, in the foundations of a, a bombed out building, they found this ancient archaeological remain, um, which they excavated over a period of two years. And then right at the end of the excavation, they found a little statue to the god Mithras, mm. and what they realised uh, almost at the end of the um, of the excavation was that this this remain was a Mithraeum, mm. in other words, a temple to the god Mithras, mm. and Mithras was one of the most popular and most common mystery religions, mm. particularly in the Roman world. So what you what they had stumbled across was part of Roman London. Mm. And Mithraeans, temples to Mithras, tended to be underground chambers because it was a secret society. Um, and uh, a decade ago, uh, this site was being redeveloped and it's now the uh, headquarters of Bloomberg Bank. <laughs> um, but what they did was they they completely kind of restored it. Um, as part of the foundations of this modern bank. And you can you can visit it today if you go to London, the Mithraeum. I've, I've never been, but I like to go. Um, if you have a look at the next slide, this is how they've done it. Um, so this is the, um, they've kind of uh, restored the remains, but also using these um, plexiglass uh, screens. They've kind of uh, recreated what it would have been like. And it's this under, underground chamber, which would take about 30 people. Um, so m- Mithraism is an example of these mystery religions. Now, similar temple remains and statues have been found in, guess where?
2: Turkey. Wow.
1: And there are statues to Mithras that have been found in Ephesus. Oh, amazing. So, and of course, Paul is writing to uh, Timothy in Ephesus. Um, and so I think it's fairly clear that he's, he's kind of playing with the idea of a mystery religion here. Um, what were these mystery religions like? Um, they were extremely popular in the Roman Empire. They were particularly popular among soldiers and ex-soldiers. Ephesus, of course, is a regional center of the Roman Empire. There would have been lots of soldiers and ex-soldiers living in Ephesus. Um, They they were a kind of funny mixture of a religion and a men's club. They were exclusively male. Um, In Mithraism, there were seven levels of initiation. And, you know, there were ordeals you had to go through to be initiated into the, the next step um was by invitation only um what does that say oh yeah they had also the trouble with these mystery religions is they were secret societies so we don't really know much about uh what they what the content of their belief because they were sworn to secrecy um and so we've discovered the temples with the statues the 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 symbols what they actually believed is, is lost in the, um, the mists of time. But we do know that there were, there, there were certain practices that, so particularly shared meals were important, but also things like there were sayings and, and chants and mm. handshakes. And now is this all reminding you of anything? Is there an equivalent today? It sounds like the Freemasons. This does sound like <laughs> that. If you think about the Freemasons, mm. you're not far wrong. Mm. Now my the guy who cuts my hair uh what used to be a freemason and he tells cuz he he knows that you know I led a church and so he's and he's interested in that and so he tells me a bit about his freemasonry mm. and he's he, he kind of lost interest in it but he's quick to say of course I never believed any of the mumbo jumbo it was more of a club mm. it was more of a you know con- a way to connect with other men and sometimes he could help their career and that kind of thing and i think it's the the same was true of the mystery religion. in practice a lot of it was about being part of a club Mm. and getting on in society um and but i think that's part of paul's point Mm. because what he's saying is you know there are these mystery religions Mm. well let me give you a mystery religion Mm. Okay, here's my. If, if, if you're interested in this stuff, try this for size. Uh, so, can we go uh, on to the next slide? I think. Yeah. So this is um, back to verse 16. He's saying, beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. And then he quotes this um, this verse six lines. Um, and I think most people think it's uh, it's early Christian, either an early Christian hymn or early Christian liturgy. The, the poetry comes over much more clearly in the group. Every line is a, is a verb and then a, a, a sort of in or by statement to something else. And it, there's a real symmetry to it. It probably wasn't written by Paul. He's just quoting it as a familiar early Christian hymn. Um, but this is what he says. This is, you, you want a mystery. Let me tell you about this mystery. There's this being. Okay. And, and notice how it's not, this person isn't, this being isn't named. But who, who do we think this hymn is referring to? He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the spirit, was seen by angels was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. You've got the career of the earthly career of Jesus in six lines Mm. in a nutshell. Um, Some of it is is clear. But again, it's, it's like Chris was talking about on Sunday. This is one of those poems where it almost begs more questions than it answers. You know, the, what do we mean by, what does he mean by this? Or what did the, the writer of this hymn mean by this? Um, so if we can uh, have a, a larger look at it again. Okay. That's right. <laughs> it's okay. So he he appeared in the flesh. Um, there's this spiritual being, but he did this spirit didn't just appear in the sky it wasn't just a dream or a vision this is a spiritual being who appeared in fle- who who became a human now just think about the mystery religion idea you know we're in this world and we cannot see the spiritual world if only we could explain if only we could understand what's going on in the spiritual world well listen to this mystery this spiritual being appeared in our world, mm. and not just appeared, but became became one of us. Was vindicated by the Spirit. Uh, what does that mean? It, it was vindicated or justified, and it could be either by the Spirit, as in the Holy Spirit, capital letter, or it could just be spiritually. Mm. Um, it, it's not clear. Uh, some people say it's about the uh, resurrection, you know, that uh, by the power of the Spirit, Jesus was and that was Jesus' vindication, the kind of justification that he was who he claimed to be, was when he came back to life, having been crucified. I think it could be that but I think it could be larger than that. If you think about John's Gospel um, and the way John talks about signs All the science. So almost the whole of everything that that Jesus said and did was a kind of vindication that he is who we claim that he is. You know, the the miracles, the raising Lazarus, walking on water, stilling the storm, his uncanny ability to read people's minds. You know, he he was a spirit his his kind of spiritual activity in this world vindicates the fact that he is this spiritual being um what else does it say was was seen by angels again some people say well that's about the resurrection but think back to the whole of the of the gospel story uh think of the nativity you know all of jesus earthly career you get the sense that the spiritual world is watching on um the all the time he seems to straddle these two worlds, the, the earthbound, physical, material world, the world of physical creation, and the spiritual realm. He's got a foot in each can. Um, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world. So he's had an impact a growing impact out in this world, this spiritual being, and finally was was taken up in glory, which I think is about the ascension. You know, this uh, this being, this spiritual being who had a human, earthly career in this world has now returned to the spiritual world and is glorious and ruling and reigning in the mm. spiritual world. Uh, it's, it's not crystal clear, mm. but I think the fundamental point, particularly when you put it in the context of a mystery mm. religion and the, the, the claims of a mystery religion, is that Jesus is the one mm. Who actually fulfills all the promises of a mystery religion? He is the one who is is living and engaged and uh, and ruling in both our world and the spiritual world. He's the one who bridges the bridges the gap, which for everyone else is unclear and unexplained and and incomprehensible. And and I think what Paul's doing is is drawing the contrast. There are all these claims that these mystery religions make that they alone understand, you know, the spiritual realm, uh, which is locked off to the rest. Of- well, no, he's saying the spiritual realm is locked off to all, all of us. All of those claims are bogus. But listen to this. Here is this this message about a being who truly does straddle both the spiritual realm and the earthly realm. Mm. And I, I think that's what what he's doing here. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's mystery.
2: Yeah.
1: Mystery. Uh, if, I think if we go on to the next slide. Oh, no, no, go, go back again.
2: Yeah.
1: There we go. So, the, but I said there were two terms, which are, mm. um, uh, which we assume we know what they mean. And the other one is godliness. Uh, Godliness is a word that crops up quite a lot in in the pastoral letters. Um, When Paul talks about godliness, what does he mean? Again, godliness was a very familiar concept in that world. But what it was all about was actually respectable behaviour. It was about conduct. Um, And but, and, and the idea was that there there are ways to behave which honor the gods, mm. which are respectful to the gods, and it's the kind of behaviour that the the gods look for in humans. But what it actually turned into was a kind of way of putting pressure on people to behave themselves. Yeah, you know, <laughs> almost an entirely human construct. Mm. You know, if it. If you if you're a, a godly person, then you will, you know, respect your parents. Mm. You you'll you'll behave well in public. You won't break the rules. You'll respect authority. Mm. And again, it's fascinating how you know it's possible that how people do today use uh, Christianity in a similar way. Mm. You know, well, the main aim of Christianity is is to keep society in order. Mm. To, to make sure that the authorities are respected, that, um, that people toe the line, um, that people behave respectively and behave properly. Um, and yet, look at the way that Paul uses it. Um, let's go back to that sentence. The mystery from which true godliness springs is great. Mm-hmm. So he's he's combining these two ideas of mystery and godliness. And he's he's kind of saying, look, because we have a mystery religion, which is unlike all other mystery religions, which is actually true. You know, we know this being who straddles both the earthly realm and the spiritual realm, then in the same way, we also have true godliness. Mm. Um, so the way in which the followers of this mystery religion behave, the way they conduct themselves, demonstrates that their mystery religion is true.
2: Mm.
1: You know that these people are devoted to this being, mm. who really is alive and reigning. In both the, the, the heavenly realm and the earthly realm. Yeah. And because they know him and because they're devoted to him, it transforms the way they live. Mm. Bottom line, behavior matters. Yeah. Behavior is important. Mm. Um, and I, I think, I mean, it's funny how, um, do you remember in that first, um, that first one in the series, I talked a little bit about how people, Scholars say, um, oh, it probably wasn't written by Paul. Mm-hmm. You know, the, yeah. the, the pastorals probably weren't written. Now, why, weren't, why uh, do we think that they weren't written by Paul? Well, he brings in these ideas. Whoever the writer was, he seems more interested in um, ideas which were typical of Greco-Roman religion at the time. So he talks about mysteries and he talks about godliness. Mm. And I think it's entirely missing the point. Mm. Yeah, he's he's using those um, those things in the Ephesian world, mm. the things that would have been um, visible to to his original hearers, mm. the things they were familiar with, which was the mystery religions like Mithraism and the idea of godliness. Mm. But he's saying, he's using them in order to make the point about this is different. Yeah. He's he's taking them and transforming them and saying this is a true mystery religion and therefore it results in true godliness, transformed behavior. Um, Is that making sense so far? Are you with me? Okay, good. Um, I think at this stage I I, I got really fascinated by this idea that he the way he combines these two ideas Mm. and transforms them i think it's such a powerful concept and it it can it speaks to a number of different things about the way we operate as christians today Mm. um the most obvious one is um do we see the spiritual and our spiritual lives and our behavior, particularly our behavior in the church community, as unrelated things. Mm. Um, you know, when, when we're encouraging people to develop their spirituality, is that a different conversation from um, how we serve one another and love one another and forgive one another in the church community? Because mm. for Paul, they are absolutely Two sides of the same coin, mm-hmm. and it it applies to all of our lives do we um, you know if we're struggling with something mm-hmm. in our lives you know if we're if we're worried about something mm-hmm. do we see the root uh, the root of the problem but also the solution mm-hmm. do we see it as um, being more devoted to this being mm-hmm. who straddles both worlds that mm-hmm. or do we look for human techniques? Mm-hmm. Do we operate as though the, the earthly world, the human world, is somehow cut off from the spiritual realm? Um, do, are, we, are we actually doing a Christian version of self-help? Or do we believe the mystery? You know, do we, or, or do we ac- actually believe that we are followers of this being who straddles the, the, the two realms? um but also um there's the way Christians think a lot about um spirituality I think and and the explanations they have for why it's hard and why some people seem to have more success in in terms of their spirituality than others, we come up with all sorts of, understand oh, all sorts of explanations and understandings. You know, we say, Oh, well, they, they, they seem to be, uh, more into prayer. Mm. We, we come up with a genetic explanation. It's just, it's the way they're made. That person is different from me. And so they've got more ability to do spiritual mm. stuff. Um, well, that's a kind of mystery religion that says some have got it. Some haven't, mm. um, Or is it because they're, they're good people and I'm a bad person, so I'm cut off from the, from the spiritual realm? Or, or do they, do they, have they studied? Do they know more than I do? So I'm cut off from the spiritual realm. Um, and, and we, we kind of, um, and, and I think Paul's concept here of a mystery religion, a true mystery religion, that results in true godliness because it's about devotion to the person who straddles both. What that says is we're all cut off.
2: You
1: know, none of us have an ability. It's an unexplained mystery to everyone. And those who claim to, you know, to be holy people and gurus and, you know, to have the answers, they're talking rubbish. Is that an appropriate? Yeah, rubbish is an appropriate word for the podcast. Um, It's it, it's nonsense because it's not about us. Mm. It's not about who you are. It's about who you know. Mm. There's only one being who straddles both realms, but we have access to the spiritual realm through him. Mm. But it's it's all about him. It's not about what we bring to the party: our, our knowledge, our goodness, our you know genetic suitability. Mm. It's open to all of us through him. It's close to all of us apart from him. Um, Anyway. Okay? Yeah. With me so far? So, so, so far, all we've done is look at the last verse. Yeah. But I think that's the key. So I'm going to quickly now expand it to look at the whole chapter. Um, So, because the bulk of the chapter, the first 13 verses are about the behavior of leaders. So what's the connection? Um it it's fascinating to look at how people use 1 Timothy 3 because a lot of a lot of Christians say uh this chapter is a church manual. Yeah. It's about how you organize and structure your your mm. church. It's about organizational structures and it's about roles. Mm. Um and it's hilarious because everyone claims that they have a they follow a biblical model of church leadership, and they all have utterly different structures. Now, the Anglicans claim that they are they follow a biblical model of church leadership because they have bishops. You know, and the word in in the start of this chapter, which is which is episkopos, which in the NIV is translated overseer, it, the Anglicans say, well, that's clearly a bishop, um, but isn't the one Timothy doesn't tell us what <coughs> is this person overseeing a whole area and a number of churches like a bishop does, um, and it's possible in Ephesus because Ephesus probably was a collection of house churches. Mm. Um, but was or was an overseer just the person who oversaw a single uh, congregation, mm. or could there be several overseers in a? We just don't know. All we know is there was this role called overseer, um, and the other one that Paul mentions here is is deacon, diaconos, which basically means servant, and and so it could have been a very practical some kind of administrative role. But then, you know, there's the the story in Acts about Stephen, who was you know appointed as a as a deacon, but who clearly had extraordinary ability to preach and to lead. And so we just don't know that Paul only mentions three roles. The, the other one that isn't mentioned here is presbyteros, mm. which we tend to translate as elder. Mm. But, you know, how that what the structure was, how they all fitted together, what the role description was. We just don't know. And I think that's the point, because in this, in 1 Timothy 3, um, he describes what, look, what you look for in an episkopos, an overseer, a bishop, if you like. And in a, a deacon, a diaconos, and it's the same stuff, because none of it is about the job description, all of it is about their character, how they behave. Um, and, and the overwhelming message it's, it's hilarious that churches think that the answer is about job descriptions and structures. Whereas the, the clear implication from this chapter is it's all about character. It's all about who they are, what kind of person they are. Um, the, import, the, the message is, the important thing when you're appointing leaders is how they behave. Um, now, why? Well, because leaders lead by example. Uh, for good or bad, Leaders lead by, it's just a statement of fact. You know, often you you hear people say you you should lead by example. Well, no, you do lead by example. If you set a good example, then people will behave well. If you set a bad example, then people will behave badly. But it's, it's the behavior of leaders which people will follow. You know, leaders do lead by example, whether you like it or not. Um... And they especially lead, by example, when it comes to behavior, when it comes to conduct, how we live. That's the, the real impact that leaders have in a community is on the, the way they behave is the way the people will behave. And I think that's the key thing here, because what Paul's really interested in isn't how leaders behave. It's how the church behaves. That's the key. If we uh, have the next slide now. Finally, at last. I know you've been (laughs) waiting for a long time, Hannah, for the next slide. Here we go. So Paul says, although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing to you with these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. So this is about everyone. This is about how the church behaves. And Paul's logic is Mm. you look for leaders who behave like Mm. this, so that the whole church behaves like this Um, and so the important thing is that the church behaves in a godly way because the logic is because it's the the behaviour of the church which demonstrates the truth of this mystery religion Um, that's the support Mm. now (coughs) It's interesting looking at these behaviors, you, you might say, well, a lot of them are a bit, you know, I, I've set it up as we have the, the truth, the, the true mystery religion. We, we have we are devoted to this uh, unique being who straddles both the spiritual realm and the earthy realm. And so our behavior is utterly different, is utterly transformed and then you read the, the the list of behaviors that he's looking for in leaders and it's a bit ho hum you know it's don't be violent <laughs> you know be married to one woman you know and, and be faithful to her you know is it I, I was expecting something a bit more spectacular when it comes to behavior so why is it so humdrum this list and i think uh, there's a couple of things to say remember the, concept, the context is Paul has sent Timothy here to tackle the leaders who are currently leading and the teachers who are currently teaching, and I think what's going on is it's it's a a matter of these leaders can't even do this. You know, Paul's list here is a list of the the, kind of the basic requirements, yeah, Yeah. Um, and I think he's he's aiming to humiliate. These leaders who've been leading the church in Ephesus astray, you know, because his argument is, if you truly knew this, um, if you truly knew Jesus, then your behavior is utterly transformed. But these leaders can't even keep these basic standards of behavior. So what does that say about what they're preaching? Because remember, these leaders claim to, have, to understand all the mysteries, mm. to have great in, spiritual insight. These are these, you know, far-seeing teachers who, you know, deserve all the respect. Paul's saying, no, look at the way they behave. Yeah. They can't even avoid getting drunk mm. or fighting, being violent mm. or, you know, having a love of money. Mm. So how can they possibly be? That, that's not true godliness. So the, the religion they're preaching is utterly undermined.
2: Mm, yeah.
1: And I think that's what's going on. That he's, he's saying it, it's kind of um, the, the, the message they're preaching is undermined by their behavior. And I just wonder, as he goes through this list of required behaviors, is he thinking about specific individuals? Mm. Well, that one is continually drunk that one has his hands in the, you know, the church treasury. That one, and he's, I mean, I've no idea, but it's, I wonder whether that's what he's doing. He's humiliating them in the eyes of the church because he, want, he wants to undermine their authority because the behavior of the, because the church is behaving accordingly and it's undermining the gospel in Ephesus um, and it needs sorting out.
2: Uh, Yeah.
1: OK. Yeah. So there's uh, there's one final point in the in the passage, if we can go back to that slide of 14 and 15. Here we go. There's another final kind of linking key to this argument. And it's this this verse here. Um, so he says, I'm writing all of this to you, this, these instructions about leaders. So that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God. And it's this line here, the pillar and foundation of the truth, the church of the living God, and particularly the behavior of the church is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. Now, about the the truth here, I think, as often with Paul, means the gospel, Mm. And so he's, think, he, he's thinking evangelistically. He's thinking about the message of the church. And he's saying that um, the message of the church, the gospel, the truth, is like a building. And that building relies on having a, a, a good foundation and, a, and strong pillars holding up the roof. But the behavior of the church is the pillar and the foundation. And if the behavior of the church is, is rocky, is unsteady, then actually the message of the church is on rocky foundations and is liable to collapse. You're undermining, literally, the the, the truth of the message, the message of the gospel. If your behavior as a community um is it undermines it it doesn't support it um and and so i think again this is a key thing for us um evangelism on the one hand and the way we live as a community again do we see those as two separate unrelated subjects yeah you know, we need to spend some time thinking about evangelism. Mm. And then there are other stuff, church activities, which are about loving and serving mm. and, you know, putting the chairs away at the end mm. and, you know, forgiving one another when we offend one another and da da da, da. But, you know, th- those are two different activities. Mm. Um Not to Paul.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, they are absolutely yeah. linked. Because of this understanding of true godliness mm. you know, if you truly know god it will affect your behavior mm. and if you uh, if your behavior um isn't godly yeah. then it undermines any claim that you know the truth mm. um and so in other words when we love and serve one another in the church we're gospeling. we're we're we are reinforcing the message that we yeah. preach um, when, we, when we do PA, mm. when we tidy the chairs, when we choose to yeah. give up an evening to, to uh, help with the youth, mm. what we're doing is evangelism.
2: Yeah,
1: we're, we're creating a community that actually is, is the, a powerful argument for our message. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's the kind of final piece of the jigsaw that links this whole chapter together. Mm. Paul's concern is the gospel. He wants the message out there, mm. and he wants it believed.
2: Yeah.
1: And if the church doesn't behave in a truly godly way, mm. then it undermines that message. Yeah. I think, and that's that's how the whole chapter holds together from verse one to verse sixteen. Yeah. Um, final thought.
0: Yeah, I think I mean I think that's absolutely spot on. What you've done is you've integrated, <coughs> like you said, you've integrated all the pieces together. Um and I think actually I don't Do you have any questions, Hannah?
3: I love it. It's amazing, <laughs> isn't it? I've always felt uncomfortable with the whole like this person goes off and does evangelism. Yeah. And I'm like, well what about my friends? Yeah. Am I not supposed to tell them that's it myself? Yeah. Like my friends don't know this evangelist. Yeah. So how are they going to tell my friend? Yeah. And yeah, like if you, if the way you live your life, and you mm. do your work and the way you behave to people impacts them, then you've got a opportunity. Yeah. For them to ask questions to, to you. Yeah. And um, an opportunity to speak into that relationship. Mm. And if you, Every individual in a church, if a church of 150 people, <coughs> they will all know at least one person well, mm. and they can, they'll have um, the loving relationship in which to speak into, but only if that person thinks I'm authentic. Yeah. And um,
0: yeah. yeah, so I love that. Absolutely. Absolutely. much
3: better than a platform evangelist. No.
0: Yeah, it feels like it's quite, a, you know, I mean, I know it's transcendent truth, but it feels like a prophetic, pertinent word for our time. And the, a couple of things come to mind. Yeah, One God. of them is John. It's the way you love each other mm. that will show the world. Yeah, absolutely. That we're followers of Jesus. Yeah. Because it literally like transforms how yeah. we are actually able to be human together, yeah. which is the good news of the gospel mm. and which was the problem that needed solving, so that really makes sense. And then another thing I'd heard recently about Greco-Roman setup of their house churches um, was they're often in the wealthiest house, so they might have an atrium, and there's this massive extended economy of, you know, patrons, clients, slaves, business associates, children, everyone in this household. So you often would have complete strangers to the gospel, but part of these associates just walking through a Mm. church community. And you see in Corinthians, it says the word was sufficiently prophetic for people who didn't know God to go, I'm literally can see my need for God and I've turned to God. Um, And what I like about what you're saying is both being a community of integration and being somehow that integration and and community being seen and open enough Mm. for people who are literally almost walking through to kind of meet God as well and so I think that's what I want to pray okay I want to I really just I kind of feel like I feel like I just want this to happen for us as hope you know that this word lands in us as a community Mm
2: -hmm. yeah
0: so yeah thank you Bill that really did put the pieces together good on a text that I actually know pretty well I've never heard it kind of uh, explained like that and it makes so much more sense so, yeah, I'm going to pray. Let's go through. Lord, I thank you that, that you, are, you are an integrated life, uh, fully human and fully divine. And we are all cut off. And we are all, through you, welcomed in. That just makes mm-hmm. so much sense. And you really care about how we live. The whole point of the good news is that we can live in a way that actually loves people. And is good. Um, so the, the message of the gospel is that it transforms us to be people who behave in such a way that humans are designed to behave. So I bless that to be to, for our community here at Hope and anyone else listening to be integrated, to be whole, to be people who are godly, who do represent you well, who are in you in the way we love each other. And I also bless our community to have ways in which people who don't know you can see that, that, that that the way we love each other can be kind of an open door or window to people, a bit like the, even the setup of, of the churches in the Gruco-Roman world were, just literally the way they were. People could walk through them and... We're in a very different context now, but I pray you give us ways that we can love each other well, but also that that can be seen by others so that other people can can enter into this community together through you. Thank you, Lord. It is such good news. You do see the problem of the human condition and you do con- completely solve it in Jesus. And in you, we are completely transformed and we are able to love each other as we're designed to.
2: Amen. Amen. Mm.
0: Do we have a final No, that's right. <clears throat> so we are pausing 1 Timothy 3 now, are uh,
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the plan. Um, do you want me to say a bit yeah, about that? Yeah, just explain that. So uh, over the next three or four months, I'm going to do a series on Sunday mornings, uh, one a month. Um, on uh, from John's gospel, and particularly looking at John chapter 14, um, which is part of uh, what's known as the, the farewell discourse. So uh, 14, 15 and 16 are this long kind of speech slash conversation between Jesus and his disciples uh, early on the evening where he's betrayed and arrested and his trial um, and so it's, it's the culmination of uh, John's Gospel. It's leading up to uh, Easter, mm. so it's a kind of Easter series. Mm. Um, but in in thinking about the, the Sunday morning series, um, I've got quite into how how John's Gospel works as a gospel, um, and the the kind of the mechanics mm. and the nuts and bolts of. Um, of how the gospel works um, as a piece of literature, yeah. and it's absolutely fascinating. But it's it's yeah. quite technical, yeah. and it's probably not the stuff for a Sunday morning yeah. sermon. Yeah. Um, so what I'd like to do uh, for the next one or two of these podcasts is is uh, put one Timothy on pause and have a look at how John's gospel works uh, to lift up the bonnet and and tinker with the engine Um, uh, but we will return to 1 Timothy um, in a couple of months time just to complete this there are three more uh, chapters to go four five and six Um, and it's I think it's worth plowing on
0: oh yes it's fantastic Um, so yeah and then we'll have a resource for every chapter in Timothy, which would be great. And we'll have a resource on the book of John. Oh, Thanks, Bill. It's like a double portion. It's
1: an embarrassment of riches. (laughs) Um,
0: Brilliant. Well, that's over and out from us. Yes. Bye, everyone. See you next time. Yeah. Have a lovely month.
2: If I don't see you in the meantime. (laughs)